Palm Sunday. Isn't Palm Sunday confusing? It's a paradox. I don't want to cause anyone to stumble or freak anyone out, but Palm Sunday is someone like you, someone, maybe if you're married, don't go there, before you were married, who you're attracted to, but then they open their mouth. They're great. Oh, I'm getting away. That biblically is what Palm Sunday is like. It looks so regal and beautiful, and then as we dig, we start to go, oh. Because it is the account in which we celebrate the first day of the last week of our Lord's life here on earth before he was crucified and rose again. Work with me. I'm going to pray. We're going to be in Luke, back to Zechariah, back to Luke, and hopefully we can see what Jesus is doing and say, I want to see you rightly, but then I want to receive you rightly. That's the goal today. I want to see you rightly as Jesus, but I want to receive you rightly as Jesus to the true Prince of Peace. So let me pray, and we'll head into Luke 19. Sorry, I might have said 9. Luke 19. Father, help me. Help us. Jesus, peaceful one, lover of our souls, show up. Let us see the true paradox of Palm Sunday, but don't leave us there. Let us see the hope of glory in which you are. So do a mighty work in Jesus' name. Amen. We just heard it. It will go up here. Luke 19, 37. As he was drawing near, like I said with the kids, he is coming down from the Mount of Olives, the Kidron Valley, then the great city. He began to have people, not just the 12, but disciples. They began rejoicing. With a loud voice, they said what? Here's our day. There he is. Freak everyone out. There's Hillary, there's Donald, there's Cruz, there's Bernie. Not really, but that's what's happening. That's our man, Jesus. They're not him. I didn't mean to stumble you. Trust me. You'll, we'll get there. Blessed, verse 38, is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Very reminiscent of the angel song way back when in Luke 2. Glory to God in the highest peace on earth. The culmination of God's plan. If you've read through the Gospel of John, this is the language it's in. Not yet, not yet, not yet. Then in the passion story, here. It is the time. So Jesus sees this, knows this. Verse 39, and some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would what? That's where most Protestant preachers dwell. Verse, right here, 40. If you don't have your Bible, we encourage you to bring your Bible, but there it is. Why do most middle class Protestant preachers dwell there? That's easy. That's an easy verse to talk about. What's being communicated? The God man is traveling into his throne, the cross, and praise will happen. It's very good humans praised him because you could not restrain praise. I could preach a sermon series on that and not really get close to my heart because most of what we do is we preach, you better praise him, wicked America, or whatever we do. That's why it's easy to preach. Josh, you better praise him because the stone... 
Josh is like, bro, come on. The Warriors lost. Give me a break. It's going to be okay, Josh. But that's the easy verse to go to. I want to dwell on that and others. People are rejoicing, but why this is a weird day, four and a half days later, most rejoicing would lead to what? Rejection. Get away from me. I want nothing to do with you, Jesus. People are joyful, but that joy for some would turn to what? Sorrow. Grief. There are lots of contradictions. So the crowd in this account, shouting out, praising him, they are seeing Jesus right but they are going to receive him, most of them, incorrectly. Luke writes this gospel showing us Jesus, a little different take. Previously in chapter 19, Jesus goes from Jericho. Anybody know about Jericho? The lowest city on the face of the earth. 1,200 plus feet under sea level. Jerusalem about 2,500 feet above sea level. So... Allegorically, Jesus is going up, right? It's a 15-mile journey. On the way, remember, what does he do? He heals the blind man who? Bartimaeus. Be healed. He hangs out with a guy in a tree. Zacchaeus, get down here. Come on down. Let's go eat. Let's go talk. And as topography-wise, as he reaches the Mount of Olives, like I said, he's as high as he's going to go, and then he begins to descend, We know contextually Passover is approaching and Jesus, while on top or near the Mount of Olives, he understands the prophecy given and he says, I gotta do something here. I need an animal. I need a donkey, even less. I need a young colt, most likely to which has never been what? Ridden. I know... I've preached it, so maybe I'll repent before you. And it's true, but there's much deeper impact or meaning to this text. What did kings in peacetime ride? Donkeys. That was after a what, usually? A great bloody what? Battle. Jesus had not fought a bloody battle. So it's different but similar. Hang with me, church. I got a picture of Alexander the Great... And his great horse, if you have it, guys, everyone's, it's an awesome name, Bucephalus. Everyone's, everyone in your lowest voice say, Bucephalus, one, two, three, go. Bucephalus, great name. Ooh, right? There he is. There's a rendering. That's a king, amen? You see him coming, I'm leaving, or I'm surrendering, right? There's two options, and, and when they conquer, when kings conquered provinces or territories, come and be a citizen and usually be a slave for us, or what? Try and run or say goodbye to your loved ones. Those are the kind of two and a half options. Next picture. So it was most likely in between, a little larger than this one, not as large as this one. A beast of what? Burden is what the Lord rode. Go back, to, go back a picture. Let me see Alexander the Great. Whew. Next donkey. Jesus, by fulfilling this prophecy, hear me, church, is being funny in some way. Jesus is funny, by the way. He is being cunning and king in, or keen and somewhat sarcastic. He knows the scene. Jesus, probably around six foot, his feet would have dragged as he rode this donkey. That would promote what? Laughter, maybe? A chuckling in spirit? I'll say it this way. I love the Giants. You'll hear more about that in the next six months when they win four and seven. Amen. Okay, here we go. 
Next picture, 2014, here we go. That's a good scene, right? Sorry, Dodger fans, we'll pray for you later. That's a good scene. I am wearing Dodger blue, so yes, that's me. So here we go. This is one of the parades down Market Street. Very festive. That is a proper vehicle to ride in as coronating champions. Coronation. Now, this is the word picture I want us to see. Next one. Imagine Buster Posey riding down Market Street on that. He would probably be a Dodger the next year, right? The point is, he wouldn't be on the team much longer because that doesn't even do the justice of what I'm trying to say. I need one volunteer. Hand up. Debbie, come up here. This is a chair fit for an awesome person. Have a seat. Let's hear it for Debbie. Good job, right? This is a chair fit for a child, and how ridiculous do I look normally, but next to Debbie. You can laugh. That's actually my I know. <laughs> this doesn't do it justice, but this is what's happening. I'm going to leave these here. Let's hear it for Debbie. Thank you, Debbie. Good job. You can sit there. It's comfy. No, I mean, but the point that's being made is Jesus is purposely, with his fulfilling of prophecy and electing to do it this way, making fun and making mockery of the world and its kingdoms. That's what he's doing. Saul rode in on a donkey. I know that. There's type shadow of prophecy being fulfilled and mimicking this king. Why did the people want Saul? So they could be like everyone else. And so their king could be like everyone else. These people... Most of them wanted Jesus to be like Caesar. That's what's happening here. And in this fulfilling of prophecy, Jesus is saying, for those who have ears to hear, I am not like Caesar. I am not like Alexander the Great. I am not like Saul. I am not like Xerxes. I am not like Clinton, Trump, Cruz, Sanders, or the rest of them. I am different. That's what he's saying. Quickly, he's fulfilling this prophecy. Zechariah chapter 9. This is what was written before this happened. And God proclaiming through the prophet is saying this about the Messiah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. What is he saying? People, be happy. Behold, your king is coming to you. And they hear and we hear king and we go, yes. And they're thinking what? I want Alexander the Great and Bucephalus. I don't want an abstract, obscure carpenter on a donkey. Your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. How else will we be saved unless our king kills everybody? That's all the way back to the way of Cain. Remember Cain? All the way back, moving metaphorically farther from God and establishing civilization on what? Dominance. If you don't think like me, I'm not going to debate you. I'm going to get rid of you. And we see this over and over. Speaking of this salvation in him, humble and mounted on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. Verse 10, this is God speaking. Hear this, church. 
I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. God is saying that in his coming Messiah, no more violence to conquer. What he's saying is, I'm done with death and people harming each other. So at the coming of this Messiah, horses kind of get a bad rap in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. They symbolize power and might. Horses were like Humvees in our day, the military. It's fine, we need them, I get all that. And chariots were like tanks, right? And what God is literally saying is, no more Humvees and no more tanks as my Messiah comes. And then this, the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. Spiritual peace, right standing between God and men, yes, but also physical peace. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So God is shouting way back when and Jesus is fulfilling, put your weapons down. Stop conquering the way men know how to conquer. My Messiah will be different. Jesus, the true promise of God, is doing this. He is the true seed of Abraham. He is the true Prince of Peace. He is the Son of Man. He is the Messiah. And in this account, it's happening as people put palm branches down. Jesus, in his fulfilling this prophecy, is saying, here comes the way of peace. God from heaven is shouting, peace is offered to the nations. And this is philosophically, theologically, all these things about God's goodness and sovereignty, will the nations receive it? And 2,000 years later, we can say as a human people, most likely or most prevalently, no, right? They won't receive the peace offered in this kingdom. So people start taking palm branches. I have it here, Hosanna, we know this. And then there's protesters. I'm not picking on any protesters, but there's protesters in this account. Rabbi, you going to shut them up? And what does Jesus say? Protesters, you don't get it. They're doing a good thing. They're seeing me correctly. Some of them might be receiving me incorrectly. But if they were quiet, that's when we see what? There would be praise offered because of me. So Jesus is saying the king is here. They are shouting out what? You know, Hosanna, literally saved now. They are shouting out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They are quoting Psalm 118. 118. And as I mentioned, they're also quoting the angelic chorus in the fields. Jesus, the Messiah, is here. What are they seeing, most of them? Our warrior king is here, praise God. I know he looks a little different. We would have preferred a big black stallion and an Arabian horse and maybe some armor. But he is here. Pilate, Caesar, here we go. And in the scriptures and as we go for the next few minutes, we will literally see the question being asked, what type of king do you want? And the question is still asked, that's the gospel message. Earth, humanity, Muslims, Christians, Catholic, Jews, Mormons, What type of Lord do you want? Do you want a warrior king? It ain't happening. But if you want a prince of peace, he's come and he shed his blood for you. That's what's unfolding. It appears 
these people want to receive Jesus in this way, in arrogance, and say, there's our king. What do they want to say next? Go get him. They want to strut with their palm branches, even though he looks lowly. There's our king. Bring the can of whoop whatever you got, because give it to him. And that's later, as we'll go through, Jesus grieves over that spirit and weeps. I might not get there. I'll paraphrase it. A few verses later, Jesus, we see Luke record as he's going down, he begins to sob over Jerusalem. Is that confusing? Because in my immature heart, back way back when, hopefully I'm maturing, I used to say, yeah, get them, Lord. Get those unbelievers. That's what he's condemning in the scripture. How can I say that? But he begins to weep because he knows he will largely be rejected and then he knows approximately 40 years later what's going to happen. Jerusalem will be annihilated. Jerusalem as a whole, not just a Jewish religion or city, but Jerusalem representing humanity in this new covenant, here we go, rejects the Prince of Peace and they have hell to pay in 40 years. Real quickly, history, beginning around 66 AD or CE, however you pronounce it, there began to become a large number of zealots rising up, and you know what they actually said? I'm the Messiah. Jesus talks about this. He says, after I go, there'll be lots of people coming. They came then. There might be more coming. We can have coffee and talk about the end times. Don't go there right now. Stay here. And people were like, I'm the Messiah. Let's go start a revolution and if the Prince of Peace was rejected, what did people like that? Did they get a following? Yeah. In and around Caesarea by the sea was kind of a kind of a fort or a stronghold for a lot of these zealots. And for about three and a half years, four years, they got a lot of traction. They actually hurt some Romans and killed and did a bunch of stuff. But in the early part of the year 70 AD, the Romans said, what? Enough. The Romans did not send donkeys to Jerusalem. You know what they sent? War horses and chariots. And you know what the Romans did? They boxed in all 12 gates and put the city under siege, and people starved to death, and there was great misery. And eight months later, the Romans basically said, if you want to live, you're going to be a slave. If not, you're not going to live. And 100,000 Jews, out of maybe 700,000, that's the bloodshed, were Roman slaves. And historians tell us in God's providence most of those slaves took the riches of Jerusalem and started building the Roman Colosseum later. So there's a picture here being unfolded. As I said, there were no donkeys to be found in and around Jerusalem in the year 70 AD. That time had come and what? Passed. There were only war horses and chariots. I'll read it for you. Luke 19, verse 41. This is the part I alluded to when Jesus was lamenting. And when he drew near and saw the city, he literally had a good old cry over it. You ever have a good old cry when it's almost uncontrollable? That's kind of what's pictured here. And he said this, Would that you, even you, had known on this day, Palm Sunday, the things that make for what? Peace. He is saying the true king is here. The culmination of God's plan has 
come. There is peace between God and man offered. There in that peace can be peace between men and men and women offered in the gospel. These people are shouting, Hosanna. I am on a ridiculous donkey to show them the full scope of the world and its folly in the way it promotes power. I'll try and keep it contemporary. Most of the people didn't want Jesus, they wanted an avenger. Most of the people shouting to him didn't want peace in Jesus, they wanted Captain Jerusalem to wear his, it wasn't a star, the star is kind of weird, interesting where it came from, wearing something and going, I'm here to protect my people. Five days later, remember Barabbas? Remember the guy that gets let go by Pilate? Remember that story? Barabbas was not a cat burglar who killed someone by mistake. Barabbas was not a embezzler who took from the Roman Empire. Barabbas was a zealot and a freedom fighter, a false messiah type. So when the bruised and beaten Jesus, humble, meek, prince of peace, riding on a ridiculous donkey is put before the people, or when their avenger type is offered, Captain Jerusalem, what does the crowd say? I want him. I want nothing to do with the peaceful guy. Please get rid of him. So what I'm trying to communicate to us, church, is on this Palm Sunday, let's not only see Jesus correctly, and we should. There's lots of scriptures that talk about who he is and what he's done. Yes, church, with me, let's receive him as the humble, peaceful God-man making peace between heaven and earth by his blood on the cross, and then saying, we'll see this as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, that peace that was made between God and man by my blood, I now commission you to take that peace everywhere and live in peace. We see from this whole account, there are terrible consequences to refusing the peace of Jesus Christ, both eternally and physically, right? We see that in the destruction of Jerusalem. We see that in the absolute destruction of our world at times. Jerusalem, hear me, not specifically the Jewish people, but the city and the Mecca it was at Passover, humanity rejected the Prince of Peace about two days after Palm Sunday, depending on your timeline. These people rejected the kingdom of God. History aside, Christians, maybe non-Christians, if you're not a believer, there's a lesson for us too. That lesson is God in his great love and mercy sent himself on a funny donkey as a peaceful, humble savior to say, how do you receive me? If you don't know the answer to that question, come talk to me. Come talk to us. That's why we're here. We can talk in a nice room now, right? How do we receive him? May we not receive him like scared Christians 
who don't believe the promises of the Bible, may we not get stirred up in the next 6 to 8 to 10 to 12 months of all the things that want to stir us up. May we see our King as the Prince of Peace and walk in His way. What Jesus really said, God said, my king is tired of the old game. There's a new game in town. The old game, depending, regardless of your religion or your economic state or your color of your skin, was about domination and violence. And Jesus Christ has ushered in peace and humility and goodness and mercy and grace. Go with that message this Holy Week, right, church? Amen. Go enter into that fight. If you're ornery, that's the fight you want to enter in. Because we need to be ornery in a good way, because that's the hardest fight to face. To walk in grace and mercy and forgiveness and kindness, all the while praying under our breath, Lord, give me an opportunity for the gospel. Let me tell them about Jesus, not about me or our church. I'm going to pray. We'll have one more song. Please join us for fellowship. Please, if you can, come Thursday. The whole theme Jeff and I want to try and do Thursday is taking this celebration from temple to table to commune and eat and worship the Lord there. Um, and then join us next week. Invite a friend. We'll have a great service, a time of fellowship. We will have an egg hunt for our little turkeys after. So we still need some more eggs. So if you want to bring some eggs filled with wrapped candy, that's my PSA, please do it. But let me pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the Prince of Peace. Father, give us grace to not only see him correctly, but receive him well. As one who literally says, and this is hard, turn the other cheek. If someone asks you to go a mile, go two. And Father, let us deal in grace with the harm and even angst in our own hearts at your cross. Holy Spirit, come and minister to your people. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the true Hosanna. Thank you for the true king. May we walk in his peace this week. In Jesus' name, amen.